Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Omar Bachar is a CEO of and founder of SA History and SA History Online, and he joins me now on the line this afternoon. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this afternoon. How do you remember? I know that you remember it. How do you remember personally the massacre in Sharpeville? Well, um, like everyone on that particular day, you know, we knew about uh, the call for the pass uh, for demonstrations. And there was heightened uh, anxiety in the air. But um, really, we didn't know the impact of it until the day or two later. Because, uh, uh, you know, the state machinery uh, had censored everything, the radio. And um, so, you know, after the day of travel, a story begins to emerge. So we, uh, I was in high school, first year in high school, mm-hmm. and we students, you know, uh, got together, some of us, and started discussing what was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but we didn't really understand the impact until a little later when it hit us uh, personally uh, around April. Um, Mr. Basha, can I just ask that we try and sort that line out so that we can hear you properly? It's giving us some problems. I want to hear you very loud and clear. Let me just take a quick break and I'll be back with more. Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. Omar Bachar is a CEO and founder of SA History Online. We are looking at the Sharpeville massacre that happened on the 24th, I beg your pardon, the 21st of March, 1960. And uh, Mr. Bachar hopefully is on a better line now, just talking us through his own personal experiences. Mr. Bachar, I hope the line is better now. Yes, I think it sounds much, much better now. You were still telling us about your personal um, experience of the day. Well, you know, uh, you must remember that communications were all largely controlled by the white press and state censorship. Mm -hmm. So you really never got to know about exactly what happened on Day on that day. It took a day or two before the whole story began to unfold mm. and and you know there was a rise in tension in the air and people yes. were talking about this i was at uh in at uh, high school mm-hmm. and uh, a, a, a couple of us got together and began discussing the events of the day mm-hmm. but it took it took april you know um a, a, a month later mm. or well, no, 10 days later, because some of us, the schools were closed. We were asked to go home, and we only realized that um, there were marchers, people coming from Cato Manor, to marching through town uh, to the police station and the, the prison, calling for the release of political prisoners. Yes. When you say there were gatherings, particularly yourselves as young people gathering and talking, we do know that there was an open call for, you know, surrendering of passports, but um, ID documents. Your personal conversations with your peers, what was that about? Well, we didn't really, as I said, we didn't really get the full story because 
the PAC call um, was on the 25th, I think, of uh, April. Yes. Uh, no, uh, four, five days, three days, the 19th of March. Um, and, you know, the March and the people going to surrender at police stations uh, happened on the 21st. And only a few places in the country, Sharpeville, a few townships in Hauteng, and in the Cape uh, townships here. Uh, and the rest of the country didn't really come out, largely because it was such a short notice. The PAC, PAC was just formed quite recently, and 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 they and their message was uh, not uh, distributed, not known throughout the rest of the country. Judge- and- Judging by the mood in the country at the time, was there an expectation, and I know you were young, that things could go wrong and lives would be lost? And I know that, you know, people had been harassed tremendously at the time, but maybe not the scale, but were were they talks about what could go wrong? Well, there was a lot of unrest, as you know, in Durban in particular, the, the state was uh, trying to move people from Cato Manor to the new township of Kwamashu. And there was a lot of police um, action against the people in that area. Women in particular responded. In the Transkai, uh, in Pondoland, the Pondo militants had began to organize and we were beginning to hear about uh, them attacking chiefs and others in that region. So there was an, there was actually a, a, a beginning of a revolt, a rural revolt mm-hmm. in the Transkai. Mm-hmm. And um, but as I said, you know, we began to only hear about these things a couple of days or a week or two later when the black press began to cover some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sharpeville itself, uh, we didn't know the full impact of it mm. until we began to listen to, you know, interesting enough, to BBC yes. because we were listening on the radio and um, and the BBC carried more about Sharpeville than our own uh, papers or, or radio stations. Mm. So... And, and in fact, the first photographs that were published were, the, you know, the, the film was that uh, was uh, secretly sent out of the country mm-hmm. and then published in the British press mm-hmm. about three, four days later. Mm-hmm. And so the impact of what happened at Sharpeville began to sink in, and 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 then the and the government then began acting. Uh, you know, uh, in a way that people were being picked up, arrested, uh, state of emergency was being declared by, uh, uh, you know, the 26th of August. By then, 
we began to understand the real impact. The public, I think, began to understand the real impact. The impact in the Transvaal was much more than in uh, other parts of the country, Mm -hmm. other than the Cape. Cape Town, which had a very strong PAC branch in these uh, Langa and uh, Nyanga Mm -hmm. and those townships, as you know, thousands of people marched from there to the city center to protest against the killing and also to hand themselves over without their passes. You speak of photographs that were leaked. We know some of which were were photographs by Peter Magubani and and the impact they had um, on the eyes of the world. Internally, tell us about the the, 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 the ground reaction of what had just happened? Well, as I said, the, 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 uh, after, after the, the sh- massacre, the ANC and PAC and others began to call for a national stay away. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it had some impact but again, uh, people did not come out in, and there was a call for national strike, national strike, what we call then a stay away. Didn't have the same impact. But by, the, by August, um, we, we now began to understand that there was, South Africa had reached a turning point in our own history, and it became the, the internationally, there was such a massive uh, response uh, to isolate South Africa. The United Nations met and passed a vote against uh, and calling for sanctions against South Africa and things like that. So by, and, and by then, uh, the political organizations had now began to were, were banned. Many of the leaders were arrested, and those that remained began to organize clandestinely to, you know, undertake armed struggle. Do, do you think this particular event um, had a really great impact on how the world saw what was happening in South Africa? Would, was this possibly the pivotal moment? Yes, it was a turning point, not only in South African history, but world history. Mm. Because you must remember that, you know, just a couple of, a month or so before Sharpeville, uh, Macmillan, the, pres- uh, the Prime Minister of Britain, had come to South Africa and he spoke in Parliament and talked about the wind of change because the decolonization of Africa had accelerated and, you know, just a year before um, Ghana gained its freedom and he talked about his speech was called wind of change, you know, mm-hmm. and he's he actually then said to the South African white regime that, look, you have to make changes. Otherwise, there's going to be a, a lot of unrest and a lot of pressure mm. on Britain and the Western powers to do something about 
South Africa. Was was the apartheid government surprised by the reaction the international community had? Well, I think they were, yes. Well, look, you know, there was a massacre which changed the mood throughout the world and uh, against South Africa and in South Africa. And they responded very quickly, well, firstly, by imposing a state of emergency, a reign of terror, uh, picking up people, thousands of people were arrested, hundreds were detained, and um, and then they also accelerated their the, the policy mm. of separate development mm. and homeland independence. So they were arguing to the international community, no, we are giving the black people independence. We are setting up these independent states, and that is decolonizing the the, the system mm-hmm. and p- allowing black people to have a say in their own areas. So the policy of separate development was accelerated. Uh, not that it helped them, but it at least gave them space um, to to implement the policy. But at the same time, by 63, the, the, the liberation movements had um, initiated the armed struggle. They had initiated an international campaign against South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the ANC and PAC sent their representatives to lobby groups internationally for sanctions at the same time for support to to initi- to to sustain the armed struggle to to you know to set up training camps to raise funds for these um, for the, for the struggle in the country so there was a you know there was a change there was a dramatic change in in the country but we experienced a reign of terror after uh, the the initiation of armed struggle after chapel they clamped down on all political ac- activities uh, began um, and they systematically began to to ban people um, imprison pe- the leadership and and try to break the spirit in the country. We must also remember that now with the organizations banned, the the setting up of the internal arm wing took a time took time, and so there was a hiatus in the you know so between say 1960 after the Rivonia trial and the other PAC trials um, there was a period where there was a lot of uncertainty um, and and so it, you know you it only really began to people began to reorganize uh in 1968, 69, and especially in 69, where the students began to organize at universities and the black consciousness movement 
emerged. And some of us who had began to work in the trade unions began to organize trade unions. And by 73, there was a massive strike. So that's when now you get an acceleration of mass action uh, and an open defiance. Whereas from 60, after Sharpeville, there was a great deal of uncertainty as to how to move forward because all open political organizations was suppressed. I have to thank you so much for your account on what was a Sharpeville massacre that took place in 1960 and its legacy. We'll continue on this vein, looking at all sorts of sides. We'll also be looking at young people currently living in Sharpeville today. What is life like for them right now?